a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hopefully uh, you are well into your journey of experiencing and embracing wrong think. Not just because it's a trendy thing to do. Although I, I would I would really be flattered if eventually that became like, hey, this is what the cool kids are doing. It never is, though. you got to be willing to march to the beat of your own drum. And uh, sometimes that means uh, you're going to find yourself feeling a little bit lonely. But uh, it's worth it. If you're a serious person when it, when it comes to seeking the truth, you're not afraid to think outside the box, or at least, as Tom Woods would put it, to think beyond that 3 by 5 index card of allowable opinion. These are the things you're allowed to talk about and question and have opinions on, but, you know, anything outside of that is a conspiracy theory or otherwise uh, considered fringe. You know, I'm not telling you you got to go down the rabbit hole. It's it. It's easy enough to see people who get caught up in that, and suddenly that becomes their identity. Yes, ah, the latest conspiracy, I'm on top of it. But if you really want to see the world clearly as it is, and especially if you want to recognize where it could be improved, in other words, where you have impact to, to change the world to what it could be, you got to be willing first to see it where it is. It's, I mean, some, somebody who has been a navigator can tell you, you know, you can't get where you're trying to go without first establishing where you are. That is a tall order in our time. And it's because we have, first of all, we have a lot of different distractions. We have all kinds of, uh, you know, fun things to keep us distracted. And, and of course, look, I, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. If I jump on social media I find myself doing the scroll because my mind is just looking for what's something interesting, what's something that catches my attention. And I went there to find, you know, what's some good factual information that will help me better assess the lay of the land today. No, I'm, I'm watching some incredible video of, you know, and some of these are good. Like, uh, here's this uh, hairdresser shaving a woman's head. She, she has cancer. She's starting chemotherapy. Her hair is beginning to fall out. So she's committed to, I'm going to have to, you know, be shaved bald. And, you know, this is hard for her. She, uh, you know, she has their hairdresser standing there shaving her head. And you can see she's emotional as, as he's uh, shaving off her hair. And she's crying as, as her, her beautiful hair is, is falling. And finally, she's uh, completely bald. You know, and her hairdresser just kindly gives her a hug and kind of holds her for a moment. And, and then steps around behind her and starts to shave his own head. And, you know, that's, I'm sorry, I got, I was touched by that. I was like, man, that was powerful. Talk about somebody just, you know, uh, showing someone I'm, I'm with you. I'm standing with you. And, and, you know, this is me showing solidarity. It was a very touching thing, but that wasn't why I went to the internet. (laughs) That wasn't why I was online. I was looking for, you know, information for the show and just kind of stumbled across it. My point is it's easy to get distracted. In fact, uh, truth be told. There are entire industries that are built around distraction. And, you know, I'm going to pick on my, my friends who love sports. Look, I know, I know sports are awesome. But sometimes they can become so awesome that that's really, you know, what all I care about. Well, it's a football season, the you know, Super Bowl's coming up, playoffs are on the way. And I'm not denying anybody, you know, they're fun. I love to get together with friends. It's the food, the camaraderie and stuff. The game, that's entertaining too, but... 
you know, we, we're a society where we build man caves. And I, again, I have nothing against the man cave. I've seen and stood in some very amazing ones. But essentially, it's a playroom for grown kids. A big screen television, you got the pool table or other, you know, card tables or whatever. Posters, shrines, you know, memorabilia, signed guitars, you know. But the goal is to entertain us. It's to distract us. It's to help us forget the cares of the world. Not that we need to be consumed with them, but it's, it's to, to keep our minds entertained and therefore happy. It also becomes a very convenient escape from the kind of stuff that actually matters in our lives. So, yeah, you step into the man cave, you're going to have a good time, at least while you're hanging out there, but you're going to miss some great opportunities for self-improvement. You know, years ago, and I'm talking 60, almost 70 years ago, in fact, it was 70 years ago now that I think about it, when the great books of Western civilization were published, and this was by, uh, I believe it was University of Chicago, uh, uh, Mortimer Adler and Robert Hutchins were the ones who headed up this, this study, compiling the canon of Western thought. One of the reasons they did that was because they felt at that time that people were losing their grasp on what leisure time was for. And these guys weren't scolds, and they weren't just trying to tell people, hey, no fun allowed. You should not be having fun in your life. But they made a very, uh, I I think, timely point that's only become more appropriate over the last 70 years, and that is when we have leisure time, something which was not a luxury that uh, nomadic societies enjoyed, and even even up until, uh, well, up until probably the the industrial age and when when people really you know, didn't have to worry about, well, I've got to go and hunt and gather, otherwise we're going to starve. That leisure time should not just be about decompressing or having fun. It's about gaining the skills and self-improvement that allow you to use your time wisely. In other words, leisure should be at least as much about self-improvement as it is about relaxing and, and resting. So if you have a study as opposed to a man cave, you still have a place of refuge. You have somewhere where you can escape the stress and the cares of the world, but it's a much more productive way to, to use some of that downtime. Because the study, you know, for those who've never really seen, what are you talking about? Some people call it like their, their personal library, but basically we're talking about an environment of peace and quiet, lots of good books, a desk where you can sit and write comfortable seats and good lighting so you can sit and read. And the idea behind the study is just this. The time you spend examining your knowledge, grappling with new ideas, actively thinking about truth, that's the fertile soil in which self-growth takes place. Self-improvement takes place. And those qualities, as you develop them, carry over into your personal life, your family life. They carry into your faith, your work, even your citizenship within whatever community you live in. So I'm, I'm really hoping this doesn't sound like I'm scolding you because I, I don't intend to. I'm just, I'm pointing out an option that I don't think a lot of us consider because it's so much easier to just hit the on button and let, uh, you know, whatever's on Netflix or Hulu or whatever come up and sit back and be passively entertained. But if on some level we're not serious about bettering ourselves, then we really don't have a lot to offer the world in terms of authentic improvement. 
So if you want to go through life as a spectator, and most people are very content to do exactly that, hey, the man cave is definitely a great place to, to do it. It's built for spectators. It's built for people who have made entertainment a priority. But if you want to find the confidence to take your place on the field and to be the kind of person who can make a difference, that's going to require you to step up and improve yourself. Starting with improving your mind, improving your ability to think, to sort truth from error, etc. Again, I just I, I have this nagging suspicion that this sounds like Brian. Are you lecturing us that we really shouldn't have as much fun as we have? I want you to have fun. I want to have fun, but we should also make time for the work of improving ourselves. Not because it's fun. Not because it's distracting, but because that's what actually makes a difference. That's what empowers us to step forward and and become whatever we were born to become. All right. Thus endeth the sermon. I'm really sorry if that that came off as preachy or um, otherwise, you know, you feel like you just got backed into a corner and and thumped on with big books with 25-cent words. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's that's not my, my intent. Let's uh, let's talk about a couple of the things that we're going to be covering in the show today. Um, first up, I'm going to share with you an article from Jack Gleason. Some timely advice for how to effectively communicate with friends and family who have been brainwashed. Now, this is not, we're looking down on them because they're so stupid they got themselves brainwashed. All of us have been brainwashed to some degree. And it takes different forms, but... Um, it's it's sad, and we've seen this a lot. The divisions between us, you know, we we have people. I think it's safe to say operating in different realities. I have a, a family member who will be uh, traveling to visit me where I live in Idaho, and, and this family member expressed, "Well, you know, this is going to be a pretty hard trip, you know, out there among all those pff, Trump supporters." And I'm thinking, hmm. I couldn't tell you who are our Trump supporters and who aren't. Okay, maybe the people with the, the stickers on their car or something or with a Trump flag. That might be. But what a, what a blanket judge, judgment, you know, and, and what, a, what a way to think about, you know, a, a large portion of the population that you've never even met. Uh, it's going to be pretty tough being among those people. You know, they're bigots. They think of people in groups. Yeah, yeah. I know, the irony is is lost, but... Anyway, we'll talk about how to uh, communicate with brainwashed friends and family. Just the other side of these messages. Please stay close. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde show. All right, welcome back to the show. You ready to learn how to deal with brainwashed friends and family? I always like to temper this with the understanding that you know, you're not better than them. I'm not better than them. All of us, as Paul Rosenberg puts it, have been slogging our way out of the swamp of misinformation because all of us have been brainwashed at some point. So if you can approach it with the understanding that, uh, look, I'm not better than them and I need to, you know, lead these troglodytes, you know, to the light. But just understand you may be a few steps ahead of them in in recognizing some things that they're going to recognize eventually. If you don't beat on them and try to twist their arm and get them to say uncle, that just causes people to dig in deeper to whatever it is that they already believe. 
Jack Gleason puts it this way. He says the majority of the American public has been brainwashed and by definition, they don't know it. This has been a systematic process carried out over many decades, first on college campuses, then in our public schools, now in the news media and corporate world. Hanan Parvez says brainwashing is essentially acquiring beliefs without critical thought. That's a good description, by the way. Children naturally learn from our parents about the world, how it works, and what part we play in it. After they've grown up, circumstances can manipulate people into rejecting their previous beliefs. Now, this could be caused by PTSD from military experience, a narcissistic or abusive spouse who damages their self-esteem, cults or radical religious leaders who consciously or unconsciously appeal to weaknesses in order to break people down and rebuild them with a new set of thoughts and behaviors that serve their own purposes. For governments with no conscience, knowing how to reprogram a person is very appealing. Ordinarily peaceful citizens can be turned into effective soldiers willing to kill on orders from superiors. Spies can be trained to be undetectable. Extensive research has been conducted into controlling human behavior, including the CIA's MKUltra project in 1953. So if you can control an individual, can those same techniques be used to control entire societies? Well, Parvez lists the steps that are needed. And they include isolating them physically and cutting contact with their previous group, breaking them down by mocking their previous ways of thinking and past group affiliations, along with humiliation and embarrassment. Also promising a new identity and inviting them into the new group with other transformed members. Rewarding them for joining by making them feel important, worthwhile, and better than others. Now, Jack Leeson says that, you know, the 2020 COVID crisis fits the bill nicely. People were told to stay in their homes, avoid friends and family. Going to church was treated like a crime. Anyone who disagreed with the lockdowns was labeled as selfish and guilty of endangering their grandparents. People who wanted more information about the vaccines were called deniers. And doctors who sounded the alarm were fired and their websites were deplatformed. At this point, the target will take any action or follow any command in order to preserve their new sense of worth and remain a member in good standing of their new group. Successfully brainwashed people are often obsessed with their new beliefs, their group, and the group leader. They're constantly telling you how you're wrong about everything, but they can't see that they're being harmed. Before big tech shut down free speech on the internet, any negative discussion about vaccines was met with vitriolic resistance from their friends online. Relationships were broken even among family members. Parvez suggests ways to bring people back from their delusions. First, he suggests isolate them from their cult. Now, this may be difficult since social media, mainstream news, and corporate interests continue to perpetuate the myth that COVID is deadly and vaccines are safe. Second, present yourself as an in-group. Confronting your brainwashed friends and calling them stupid for believing lies only sets up a closed door to new thinking. When you share that you initially thought that the vaccines were a good idea until a close family friend had some serious complications... That opens their minds. When you say you did some research on the internet and found credible evidence that the vaccines were harming people across the world, you open the door further. Now, Parvez continues, you can show them you're on their side by being non-judgmental, non-defensive, compassionate, and respectful. Making someone feel, feel embarrassed for being wrong is not helpful. The next step is to poke holes in their beliefs simply by asking genuinely curious questions. Remember, people who are brainwashed want to recruit you to their cause, which makes their own doubts fade. 
So instead of trying to to confront them on every issue, focus on a couple areas where you're well-versed. Do some studying and pick examples that are crystal clear. So a good example would be the VAERS database, which reports adverse reactions to new vaccines. The government says the vaccines are safe, but the number of reported deaths is 22,065 in 2021 and 12,420 in 2022. Compare that to 166 in 1991, trending up to 420 in 2020. That's pretty good advice, I think. And I know it's, you know, some people see it as, well, I'm out there to change everybody's minds. But I I still think Paul Rosenberg has possibly the best advice for how to speak to the brainwashed. And I've shared this before, but I'm telling you, it works. This is why I keep coming back to it. I've put it into practice. I've seen it it bear fruit. And it's it's very simple. It's so simple, in fact, people are like, there's no way that could work. But it does. Speak the truth with love. Keep loving that individual. Even if they react negatively, even if they react, you know, and, you know, turn, they, they unleash their inner chimp to, you know, to, to protect their mental space from your ideas that they don't want to hear. Plant the seeds, give them time to grow, but when you speak to someone and when, when you're planting those seeds, don't do it as a gotcha. See? Ha! I'm right. Do it because you love them. And, and you're sharing something and allowing them to come to the truth on their own terms. I know, it sounds so, it sounds so trite. Well, what do you mean? Just love them and they're supposed to change their minds? If they're going to change their minds, really change their minds, it has to be their choice. That's the important thing to remember. You're not going to argue someone into actually changing their point of view on something. It's not going to happen. They may, you know, they may nod their head and say, okay, yeah, whatever, just to, to get you to shut up and quit badgering them. But if you want them to actually think about it, speak the truth with love, take the hits, keep smiling, and give them time to come to it on their own terms. Just be a source of light. Be a source of love to them so that they know that uh, whatever you're sharing with them isn't being done out of a sense of I'm better than you and you're wrong and I'm right. All right, moving on. You know, the public's trust issues with the medical establishment are not without merit. In fact, uh, the medical establishment now is telling us, you know, a belief in freedom is bad for us. This doesn't really help matters, does it? Pick this article up off of uh, AmericanGreatness.com or AmGreatness.com. This is from Lloyd Billingsley. Belief in freedom is bad for you. Oh, so is distrust of government. This is according to a study in the American Journal of Medicine. Lloyd Billingsley uh, talks about, uh, well, first he starts with a quote from uh, Sir Bevedere, or Terry Jones, uh, proclaimed in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Who is so wise in the ways of science? And here's the quote that uh, Lloyd Billingsley begins with. One possibility relates to a distrust of government or belief in freedom that contributes to both vaccination preferences and increased traffic risks. I think we touched on this uh, a few weeks ago. If you don't take the vaccine, you're more likely to live risky behavior, including, you know, causing more crashes. Well, the authors of COVID vaccine hesitancy and the risk of a traffic crash published by the American Journal of Medicine, but authored by a trio in Canada, that's exactly what they're suggesting. Author Dr. Donald Redelmeyer, also, uh, let's see, who else? Author Jonathan Wang, and author Diva Thiruchuvelum, Chelvum. 
Wow, these are not easy names, but they came together to test whether COVID vaccination was associated with the risks of a traffic crash. A total of 11,270,763 individuals were included, of whom 16% had not received a COVID vaccine and 84% had received a COVID vaccine. Well, the cohort accounted for 600, make that 6,682 traffic crashes. Unvaccinated individuals accounted for 1,682 traffic crashes, 25%, equal to 72% increased relative risk compared with those vaccinated. So the authors contend these data suggest that COVID vaccine hesitancy is associated with significant increased risks of a traffic crash. It's not a strong case. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out to MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and Borelli.com. These are my sponsors. Check them out on my website, TheBrianHydeShow.com. So back to this article about how the belief in freedom is bad for you. Oh, yes. Three Canadian doctors or or, uh, researchers, some of whom were doctors, say that uh, it it appears that uh, the data suggests that COVID vaccine hesitancy is associated with significant increased risks of a traffic crash. Now, that doesn't betoken a strong case. And, And the keywords are suggest and associated. By the way, just as an aside, this is one of the things you got to watch for when, when you're reading media stories, you know, because they will often say, I, I saw one this morning that somebody was, was saying, well, this guy was coming out uh, talking about, well, I think uh, maybe we should burn sexually explicit books that are aimed at children. And someone was saying, why, well, you know, book burning was something that was associated with Nazi ideology. So the implication is, well, he's advocating something that's associated with, try, therefore he must be a Nazi. Okay, so let me try let me try that rhetorical trick and just show you how that works. Serial killers are associated with those who drink water and wear shoes. See how that works? The association doesn't mean that's how you can tell what you're dealing with here. But uh, on to the study here. In their quest to apply science, the authors might have cited reasons why some people hesitate to take a COVID vaccine shot. Maybe it's because the COVID vaccines don't work very well. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, for example, do not prevent acquisition or transmission of COVID-19. And by the way, both of those companies now are coming out saying, yeah, um, there appears to be, uh, there could be some connection between uh, myocarditis and, and stroke. Huh, what do you know? Oh, they also are saying natural immunity actually is, is legit and yeah, it does work. This is all the stuff we were getting content pulled from uh, from social media just a year ago. In fact, I still have YouTube barking up my tree, and and they're probably going to, to pull this content as well just because, well, this goes against medical consensus. But the point is medical consensus was wrong. It was wrong. Joe Biden and Anthony Fauci were shot up more times than a Toronto junkie, yet both of them tested positive for COVID. That should be enough to make anybody hesitate. And the Pfizer vaccine raises another issue. The Food and Drug Administration sought court approval to delay the release of data used to approve the Pfizer vaccine until 2096. A full 75 years, in effect, a proxy for never. As attorney Aaron Siri notes, vaccines are now widely mandated and those injured by the vaccine 
cannot sue Pfizer, which profits from its product. Now, that was not true of the Salk and Sabin vaccines, which creators Jonas Salk and Albert Sabin gave away for free and which proved very effective against polio. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the COVID vaccines have brought reports of myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, and pericarditis, inflammation of the outer lining of the heart. Now, that would be bad for airline pilots who face regular medical tests to keep their job. So the pilots have grounds for vaccine hesitancy. By the way, Steve Kirsch has some really excellent, excellent uh, writings on that uh, just recently. If you want to search up his name, Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H, Steve Kirsch has written about this. And I've, I've heard the rumor, I can't confirm this, but the, uh, the folks, the pilots who are flying all the uh, elite to Davos, Switzerland... My understanding is a lot of those World Economic Forum attendees who were flying the private jets specifically requested non-vaccinated pilots. Why would they do that? Kind of makes you wonder. Back to Lloyd Lloyd Billingsley's article. He says, Governments have been known to lie, indulge corruption, start destructive wars, and slap their own citizens into internment camps. Native peoples have good reason to distrust distrust the American and Canadian governments without any association with increased risk of traffic crash. In similar style, the authors come up short on reasons why people might believe in freedom. Isn't that something? So they say the distrust of government or a belief in freedom could also increase your risk of a traffic crash. Isn't that uh, an interesting comparison? It's almost like they want to create some clinical definition that, uh, well, you have a mental disorder and probably need some time in a re-education camp. Wink, wink. I think Siberia is nice this time of year, right? Lloyd Billingsley says, Runaway slaves certainly believed in freedom, otherwise they would have stayed on the plantation. A belief in freedom also inspired many to risk their lives fleeing Stalinist dictatorships like Cuba, North Korea, and East Germany. It's been established that free societies outperform dictatorships on every indicator, including human rights. So belief in freedom is a lot more than how it might factor into an increased risk of a traffic crash. Alternative factors in vaccine vaccine hesitancy also include political identity. But despite many possibilities, New Democratic Party, Progressive Conservative, Communist, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, etc., the authors fail to detail the political identity they have in mind. Another factor of vaccine hesit- in vaccine hesitancy is antipathy toward regulation and exposure to misinformation, again, without detail. It kind of sounds like they're just saying, these people aren't doing what we want. We need to limit whatever it is they're hearing that's inspiring them to not trust us or not do exactly as we say. They want obedient little heel clickers. If you're an independent thinker, that's, that's not working for them. Now, Lloyd says, readers may wonder how, these excessively, how those excessively distrustful of government, those believing in, or I'm sorry, excessively trustful of government, those believing in totalitarianism, worshipful of dictators and supporters of government regulation, account for traffic crashes and other safety issues. But he says, without conducting further research, those dangerous believers in freedom have caused to classify this study as junk science. Redelmeyer, Wang, and Thiruchelvam make it clear they don't believe in freedom. For this trio, government always knows best, and misinformation is anything the government doesn't like. Vaccines are always perfectly safe, and government vaccine mandates are good. Those skeptical of government in any way are just bad people. 
So Lloyd says the bottom line is COVID vaccine hesitancy and the risk of a traffic crash is white coat supremacy boilerplate. Look for more of the same in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, I I don't have a lot of trust right now in, in the medical establishment, which I hope that doesn't sound like, wow, you hate all doctors and nurses. No, I don't. Because I know doctors and I know nurses who are, are wonderful people. And, and coincidentally, many of them are frustrated by the medical establishment, the bureaucracy, the amount of paperwork that they're subjected to, the incredible amount of control that they're subjected to. This much I do know. The more that, that uh, the medical establishment has climbed into bed and partnered with government, the more it has impacted our freedoms. And when you have people being told, well, I know your child needs a new liver, but uh, unless your child is vaccinated, fully vaccinated, we can't uh, approve that uh, transplant. Kind of sounds like you're being held hostage for something. Got to really wonder about this. By the way, uh, now that the mainstream media outlets are admitting that there may be justifiable concerns over COVID vaccine side effects... Uh, Kit Knightley, writing for OffGuardian.org, says, uh, you know, this is a pretty, this is a potentially seismic shift in the narrative. The mainstream narrative spinners from politicians to the CDC to the media have started reporting possible harms due to COVID vaccines. And I like how Kit approaches this. You know, we need to ask the perennial questions when, when this, uh, hey, look, the narrative is starting to come apart. Why this? Why now? Now, Kit's point is, for almost two years, those of us expressing concern about the possible damage by forcing untested, unnecessary gene therapies on billions of people have either been ignored by the noisy majority, rather, or slandered by them. And this includes both mainstream and alt-media. Now, on the rare occasion an anti-vaxxer was given any kind of platform, it was usually a hand-picked kook or a minor celebrity making arguments from emotion. The actual science and professionals communicating that science Well, they were banished from the mainstream airwaves, airbrushed out of sight and mind. The vaccines were branded safe and effective by everyone, everywhere, until now. Well, last week, UK's BBC News invited Dr. Asim Malhotra to discuss prescriptions for statins to prevent heart disease. Yeah, another issue for another time. During his seven-minute interview, he linked mRNA COVID vaccines to potential cardiac disease. Now, Kit Knightley says, as far as I know, this marks the first time a medical professional has been allowed to make these facts known in the mainstream media. But why did it happen? Why did it happen now? Now, the official story is, well, it was just an oopsie moment that somehow Dr. Malhotra just slipped through the net, had been invited on to discuss statins, not COVID, and just cleverly flipped the script and used his temporary platform to broadcast the truth. Now, Kit Knightley says, okay, well, let's unpack this idea and see what we have. First thing to note is that Dr. Malhotra is by no means a closet vaccine skeptic. He has a Twitter account with substantial numbers of followers on which he regularly questions mRNA vaccines. He appeared on GB, GB News questioning the vaccines multiple times. It seems vanishingly unlikely that any BBC researcher would fail to discover what his opinions of the vaccines actually were. So why did the anchor let him continue? We'll come back to this story, just the other side of our commercial break. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I feel like I am skating around on the thin ice right now just because YouTube has been throwing warnings at me now for the better part of a year. All right, you've been uh, citing medical misinformation by questioning, you know, vaccines. Well, do your best, YouTube. I know you're only trying to protect us from misinformation. Kid Knightley's article from OffGuardian.org, why are they finally admitting the COVID vax could be harmful? Talking about a physician, Dr. Malhotra, who uh, went on the BBC and uh, and flat out spilled the beans. By the way, he has the links. Uh, Kit has the links to, you know, this interview. So you can check it out for yourself. And it just is questioning. And I think this is a good question to ask. Why now? How did this doctor slip through the net once he started talking about vaccines? Why did the anchor let him continue? We've seen plenty of opportunities in the past of how mainstream outlets treat people who start to say things that they shouldn't say. In fact, he includes a video that shows. So with this doctor going off topic and as an interviewer, you know, the the interviewer would have every right to nudge him back toward the question. But if you watch the interview, she barely even attempts to do this. In fact, rather than changing the subject or blasting him for being an anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist or simply cutting the feed, the anchor instead actively pursues the subject, asking him further questions to draw him out. Would that happen if he was just slipping through the net? And here's the kicker. The very same day this accident happened, Reuters reported the U.S. CDC and FDA are investigating a possible link between Pfizer shots and strokes. This is the headline. Quote, U.S. FDA, CDC see early signal of possible Pfizer bivalent COVID shot link to stroke. Kit Knightley says, this should really put the final nail in the coffin of the accident argument for anyone who understands how narrative creation works. What we can deduce from this is there is deliberate ongoing, there's a deliberate ongoing move to shift the narrative and allow some partial, limited discussion of vaccine harms. But again, the pressing question is, why? Kit Knightley says, I trust anyone reading this is well aware that we can rule out any idea that the BBC or the CDC at all have suddenly realized they made a huge mistake. In fact, the entirety of the global establishment hasn't been ignoring the risks of vaccines because they didn't understand, okay? It wasn't one big supranational brain fart. They were lying actively and deliberately for years. It's just that for some reason they've stopped very briefly and in the tiniest way possible. Secondly, however reassuring it might be to think so, they have not been forced to admit the truth by sheer weight of evidence. That's not how the psychopathic world of politics and narrative creation works. There's nothing so true the agenda setters and their tame media are forced to report it. On the contrary, they routinely deny the undeniably obvious every day, year after year, for as long as they need to or want to. The truth has no relevance in their lexicon unless it also serves some other purpose. They tell stories of convenience. They report only what is of service to those stories. Let's not forget they haven't admitted the truth. They haven't even begun to do that and almost certainly never will. They've just stopped actively suppressing one part of the suppressed reality. However, even that tiny nanograin of honesty potentially poses a direct threat to the mainstream narrative in the same way that a single pebble rolling down a hill can potentially kick off a landslide. landslide rather. And they know this because they immediately surrounded their admission with walkbacks and caveats just in case. 
Within a few hours of Dr. Malhotra's appearance on the news, the BBC had invited senior doctors on to counter his claims, and The Guardian was running a piece quoting various outraged doctors, criticizing the BBC for even letting him on. Less than 24 hours after the CDC FDA admitted they were reviewing the vaccine's possible link to strokes, they reported their results and said, well, we haven't found anything. In other words, the entire exercise was clearly carefully controlled. The smallest possible shift in the narrative under very strict conditions. After all, the lethal dose of truth is surprisingly small. So back to the initial question, why this? Why now? Why do it at all? Why put two years of safe and effective brainwashing at risk? What's going on behind the scenes here? Well, Kit says, here are a few possible explanations. Power struggle. It could be internal political struggle between the Great Reset supporters and those who want more, those more traditional political factions who want to discredit the new normal. Vaccine wars. Big pharma infighting, nothing but corporate greed winning out over narrative cohesion. They all pointedly question only the mRNA vaccines at this point, after all. It could be more fear if the aim of the game is to scare people than telling the 4 billion vaccinated individuals you might have poisoned them. That's a powerful move. Or it could be new and improved vaccines, maybe a push to corral the unvaccinated by admitting a tiny problem and then fixing it, in quotation marks, in the next updated booster. Kit Knightley says we can't completely rule out sabotage, of course. It is possible that some people within the establishment harbor genuine doubts about the course of events since 2020 and are trying to covertly get the information out. Although the coordinated nature of the release makes that unlikely, if not, it's not impossible, though. Regardless, Kit says we need to keep our eyes open. It might be a victory, but it might be something else. So the old mantra applies. Always be skeptical of the media, even when and especially when They tell you something that you want to hear. Oh, that is sound advice. Be curious to see where this goes. All right. Let's uh, cover just a couple other quick things here. Um, You know, the president has been bloviating about how no one needs an AR-15, and it's kind of tempting to wonder what exactly is keeping Joe up at night. Is he worried about... Joe, what are you doing that has you concerned that all those AR-15 owners out there are about to go insurrection on you? Charles C.W. Cook does a great job of disarming Biden's most grotesque gun control argument. And, you know, I'll let you check out the article for yourself. I've got a link in the show notes. It's well worth your time to see what uh, what uh, C.W. Charles C.W. Cook has to say about this. I still go back to an article that I read. Oh, man, this would have been 25 years ago or better from uh, I think it was Aaron Zellman from Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. You know, people who talk about, there's no need for, you know, uh, for these so-called assault weapons. Why, there's just no need. Deer don't wear Kevlar vests. And, you know, the you, you couldn't even own a cannon back at the time of the writing of the Constitution. Actually, you could. Yeah, the president has a lot of bromides that, that just don't hold up to any scrutiny. But the unpleasant truth, which I am going to speak, so take your heart medication now. The Second Amendment recognizes the right of the people to violently resist their government when it becomes tyrannical and oppressive. To compel obedience from the government that was created to keep them free, not to ruthlessly micromanage every aspect of their lives. 
And when you look at the 20th century and you look at the genocides that took place in that century, by which I mean governments targeting specific groups of people and then systematically rounding them up and killing them to the tune of well over 200 million souls lost, not in war, but as the result of government targeting them and exterminating them. In every single genocide, without exception, whether it's the uh, uh, Armenians who were killed by the Turks, whether it was Indians in Guatemala, whether it was Christians in uh, Ethiopia, whether it was the Chinese, you know, under their great leap forward, Stalin, whether it was Hitler, whatever the case may be, every single genocide was first preceded by disarming the targeted group by law. You are forbidden to own weapons. And once those groups were rendered helpless, that's when direct action began against them. The lesson, that AR-15 is a life preserver. Don't turn loose of your life preserver. Because what it means is when democracy fails, you still have a vote. I know that's not a pleasant thing to bring up. It's not a pleasant thing to contemplate. But the founders understood not just, you know, the contemporary political wisdom of their time. They understood centuries, millennia of human nature as well as political history. And they had just freed themselves from a tyrant. Couldn't have done it if they had been disarmed, which, by the way, that tyrant was trying to do by law. Take their guns, seize their stores of powder and, and, uh, and ball. Their answer was given April 19th, 1775 at Lexington and Concord. Shot heard around the world. Now, hopefully that doesn't sound like, wow, are you trying to say war is a good thing and violence is a good thing? Nope, I'm not. I don't think it's a desirable thing, but the capability of being able to resist that kind of coercion and that kind of tyranny, that is a good thing. But it takes the people who understand what their rights are it takes the people who possess the tools of freedom and who have the willpower to use those tools when the time is right to defend their freedom. I think the willpower part is the thing we got to work on. That can come with training and with understanding your rights, claiming them, using, defending them. That doesn't make you a wild-eyed radical. Well, maybe it does to some. This is The Brian Hyde Show.